Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Cool. My name is Kevin Kim, and uh, I'm a covenant member at The Well. And I serve on the worship team. Um, shout out to you guys. Thank you guys so much. And I am a member of um, Cinder Hills CG. Cool. Um, I'll be reading the scripture today. Um, Acts 2 verses 1 through 13 in Korean. So I won't wait for you guys to turn there. imi <laughs> 그들이 다 같이 한 곳에 모였더니 호련히 하늘로부터 급하고 강한 바람 같은 소리가 있어 그들이 앉은 온 집에 가득하며 마치 불의 혀처럼 갈라지는 것들이 그들에게 보여 각 사람 위에 하나씩 임하여 있더니 그들이 다 성령의 충만함을 받고 성령이 말하게 하심을 따라 다른 언어들로 말하기를 시작하니라 그때 경건한 유대인들이 천하 각국으로부터 와서 이루살렘에 머물러 있더니 이 소리가 남해 큰 무리가 모여 각각 자기의 방언으로 제자들이 말하는 것을 듣고 소동하여 다 놀라 신기하게 여겨 이르되 보라 이 말하는 사람들이 다 갈릴리 사람이 아니냐 우리가 우리 각 사람이 난곳 방언으로 듣게 되는 것이 어찌 됨이냐 우리는 바데인과 메데인과 엘람인과 또 메소보다미아 유대와 갑바도기아 본도와 아시아 부르기아와 밤빌리아 애국과 및 구레의 구레네 가까운 리비아 여러 지방에 사는 사람들과 로마로부터 온 나그네 곧 유대인과 유대교에 들어온 사람들과 그레데인과 아라비아인들이라 우리가 다 우리의 각 언어로 하나님의 큰 일을 말함을 듣는도다 하고 다 놀라며 당황하여 서로 이르되 이 어찌된 일이냐 하며 또 어떤 이들은 조롱하여 이르되 그들이 새 술에 취하여 하더라 This is the word of the Lord Good morning. Good morning. How are we? Good, good. Glad all of you made it out in the midst of South by Southwest, in the midst of time change. The last time I preached, it was the Austin Marathon. I don't know who's making the schedule, but uh, it was actually me this time, so I have nobody to blame um, but myself. But glad um, that all of you were able to come out uh, this morning and make it as we continue in our Multiply series. Um, and today we're going to talk about, as we heard earlier, it was alluded to, Multiply Diversity. And so part of the distinct, one of the distinctives here at The Well is that we don't find community, but we fight for community and we strive to be a diverse community. And so diversity for The Well is more than just a cool kind of trendy topic or word. It's actually at the very core of the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to look at the beauty and um, significance of multiplying diversity and see how the Holy Spirit empowers us to reconcile all people to himself. And I know that what most of you may be thinking, how is it that the white guy ended up talking about diversity? Um, well, Tori's on sabbatical and Yusuf's in Greece, so I am next. Um, I joked in exegesis that I was going to put up my ancestry and show that like at the top, give myself my credentials, like at the top, the top nation is, the top nationality is Mexican, but then after that, it's just like 
a bajillion different whiteness, um, Caucasian, uh, English, German, all that kind of stuff. But don't, so don't let the light skin fool you or distract you. Okay. I was at Chipotle recently and I was like, let me get this. I don't know why you guys are laughing. I, that wasn't my cred. I was like, I went to Chipotle guys. I can talk about diversity. No, that wasn't it. Let me finish. So, so I, I'm at Chipotle and I'm like, let me get this. Let me get this. You know, you're, you're doing your thing. I'm like, okay, let me get the red sauce. And she goes, this, I'm like, that's pinko de gallo. That's just tomatoes. No, give me the spicy stuff. Don't let the light skin fool you. And so she adds the spicy stuff. And then I'm like, that's too much. I need some sour cream too. Let me put, put it on. You done did too much now. Um, but my wife and I joke, uh, I'm like horchata. I'm like milk on the outside, but cinnamon on the inside a little bit. For those who don't, haven't had horchata, don't know what that is, go to a Mexican restaurant, order some today. Um, but all seriousness, I was really looking forward to preaching this message today because diversity is something for me that uh, I feel like I've grown in and God has multiplied it in my life um, over the last year or so that I've been here at the well. I came from a significantly smaller church, but it was still a pretty diverse church for the most part. Um, but I remember when I got here in Austin and I was going through the interview process and I was talking with Juhan, um, who was the previous church planner, and we were talking about the topic of diversity came up. And I remember telling him like, yeah, I, I want to I plan a diverse church. By the way, I'm Travis. I'm the church plant uh, resident. Forgot to introduce myself. But like, I was like, yeah, I, I want to plant you know, multicultural church for sure. Like, but it was, it was almost like it was something that I hoped would happen, but not something that I w- was really thinking about pursuing. I was just kind of saying, if God allows it to happen, it'll happen, rather than saying, this is the image and the picture of the kingdom that I'm, I'm actually going to pursue. And so for me, I feel like God has multiplied this in my life personally, and so I'm excited to dive into um, something that is so important, not only to the well, but to the kingdom of God um, today. So let's go ahead. Let's dive into what we just read, what Kevin just read to us in uh, Korean. We're going to go back through it verse by verse um, in English. Uh, Verse one says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We're going to stop right there for a sec. So the series multiply, we're looking at the first two chapters of the book of Acts. And we're seeing in what areas was the early church when God was establishing his church, what areas was the church multiplying, growing, seeing increase? And how can we as the well seek to multiply and increase and grow in those areas as well? Going back to what Tori talked about, us kind of replanting. And so this image of us replanting and now kind of growing, well, we want to grow the way that God God designed us, designed his church to grow. And so we're looking at the first two chapters of Acts and Jesus, we started, was here on earth for 40 days after he rose from the dead, speaking to his disciples about the kingdom of God, ascended into heaven. And then Yusuf talked about multiplying team and uh, they, re- they voted somebody, not voted, they cast lots for somebody to replace Judas and we saw their team increasing. And now here they are waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we don't know exactly who is there other than the disciples, possibly more than that. We don't know exactly where they are, maybe the upper room, but we do for sure know that they are in Jerusalem for Pentecost or what is traditionally called in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks. And so what would happen in the Jewish calendar after Passover, which is a day to remember or a week really, to remember 
God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. So you would have Passover, that next Sabbath would be Feast of First Fruits. And then 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits would be Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks was a big celebration about harvest. It was uh, celebrating the end of the barley harvest and the beginning of the wheat harvest. But what's interesting about the Feast of Weeks or the day of Pentecost is that this is one of three uh, feasts that required people to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So Deuteronomy 16 tells us this, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, at the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and at the Feast of Booths, which was also a Feast of Tabernacle. And so this was celebrating a harvest. And all of these feasts in the Old Testament are kind of foreshadows of what would come in the New Testament. So Passover, Jesus is the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for all his people to be delivered. He rose again on the feast of first fruits. First Corinthians 15 talks about Jesus being the feast of first, or not being the feast, but being the first fruits because he was the first to raise from the dead. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, I thought he raised Lazarus. He ain't the first one, but he is the first one to raise from the dead to never taste death again. So you have Passover, Jesus being sacrificed. You have the feast of first fruits, Jesus raising from the dead. And then you have now 50 days later, the day of Pentecost, feast of weeks, celebrating a harvest. And what would come here in Acts 2 that would lead to the spread of the gospel spread throughout the entire world is the harvest of souls. And so this event that we're reading about in Acts 2 would propel the gospel to the ends of the earth by bringing those from the ends of the earth here. And so it's not a coincidence that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit took place on the day of Pentecost. It was very intentional and very strategic by God to pour out his spirit on a day when people from all places would be gathered together. And through this kind of imagery uh, or comparison, if you will, we see God's heart for all people. Leviticus 23, which I'm sure a lot of you have read recently in your devotion. Um, Leviticus 23, talking about the Feast of Weeks, says this in verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. Even from the very beginning establishment of the Feast of Weeks, God's heart is shown through his love for those who are even far off. He tells them, hey, when you reap a harvest, don't go all the way to the ends, but leave that for those who are far off. God's heart has always been for people to come to know him in this harvest or this feast shows us a harvest, shows us the harvest of souls that he wants to have. And so uh, we're going to put up a little graphic because we're going to compare a few of these. There's a couple of meaningful Old Testament connections that are truths that I want us to grab onto. One is the Feast of Weeks, and it shows God's intentional love for all people, that he would wait this day. He could have poured the Holy Spirit out the very next day after he ascended into heaven, but he waited until more people, he waited until the nations were gathered together. Let's keep going. We're gonna see another connection as we move into verse two and verse three. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them 
and rested on each of them. And so picture this kind of crazy scene. They're in there, they're, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, probably praying and a loud sound as a mighty rushing wind. These tongues as of fire begin to rest on them and around them. And what we see is images of Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. The very first day of Pentecost, the very first feast of weeks is believed to be on Mount Sinai when Moses received the 10 commandments, when he received the law. So let's compare those. If you remember the Lord descended on Mount Sinai like a fire. Now we see tongues of fire rested on them. There was loud thunder on the day of Pentecost. We hear, or we see that there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Mount Sinai, God gives his law Pentecost, God gives his spirit who is greater and brings about a greater sanctification. On Mount Sinai, people were actually to stay away from the mountain, the presence of God. Whereas on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was resting in believers, filled believers. On Mount Sinai, 3,000 died because of worshiping a false God, worshiping a golden calf. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved, going back to harvest. What was happening is the prophecy that God spoke over his people in Jeremiah 31, 33, when he said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. What Mount Sinai shows us, the comparison here is that not only does God have intentional love for us, but he desires an intimate relationship with all people. So whether you're ethnic background, whether you're socioeconomic background, whether you're gender, male or female, God has intentional love for all people and God's desire is for an intimate relationship with all people, which is why he gave his spirit and his spirit rested on each one of them individually. Let's continue on, verse four. And they were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Think about this for a second. Like for the first time ever, the Holy Spirit was being poured out on all believers to fill all believers up like never before. And what is the first thing that the Holy Spirit leads these believers to do? Preach the gospel. Declare his good works. But not just to preach the gospel, but to do it in multiple languages simultaneously. Like he doesn't have people, he doesn't start a healing line and just start doing all these miracles and different things, but they begin to proclaim the word of God in multiple languages to the nations who are gathered. Why? Because this was his plan from the very beginning. This was God's plan and his purpose was that his people would be a light to all the nations. In his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Isaiah 49, 6, God tells his people, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is why the Holy Spirit empowered them to do this was because this was his plan all along to seek and save all people. Jesus even viewed his father's house as a place for all people to gather to call upon his name. Mark eleven seventeen. Jesus is clearing out the temple and he says this, he quotes Isaiah 56. My house shall be a called a house of prayer for what? All the nations. Not that his house would be just a house where prayers are made for the nations, 
But based off of this prophecy in Isaiah 56, his house would be a place where the nations could gather to pray. And so all people are invited into the kingdom of God to call out to their father, which leads me to think about the Lord's prayer. If you remember, his disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And he gives them what's called the Lord's prayer. He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. But he begins with our father. There's a universal R, but that word father, Jesus, when he speaks the Lord's prayer is actually speaking in multiple languages during that prayer or at the beginning of that prayer. That word father is Aramaic and it's Abba, which means father. It's still in some Middle Eastern countries what the very first word that kids learn in, in uh, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, like this is the first word, Abba, father. Jesus, by using this word, is inviting all people to pray. For the Jewish people to not pray in Hebrew only would have seemed, they would have been like, wait, what? We're praying in another language? But that's the kingdom of God. There is no one language. There is no majority. There is no culture. And and so in the Old Testament, we see God described as a father, but in the New Testament, father is a title given to him that we can all call him. And so by teaching them to pray like this, Jesus is affirming his vision of a family of faith that went beyond racial tie. There's no official language in Christianity, all right? I know it's hard for us Westerners to believe that we're not gonna be like, all speaking English um, up there. But to be honest, even in America, there is no official language on a federal level, um, I found out, but on state level, there is. So I'm sure Texas is probably English for sure. Um, But on a federal level, there ain't no official language. But this word Abba is used elsewhere in scripture and every time it's used, it's always about crying out to God, crying out to the Father. And so he said, verse four says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues. But the last part says, as the spirit gave them utterance. One translation says, as the spirit enabled them. If we're gonna seek to be a diverse community, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's only through the power and the promise going back to week one of the Holy Spirit that we can all be adopted into his family. And we need the Holy Spirit because to be honest, this is hard. Like being around people from different backgrounds, different walk of lives, sometimes it's difficult. Striving to be a diverse community is not easy because oftentimes it requires us to get, every time it requires us in some way to get out of our comfort zone. And so we, some, sometimes we think about cross-cultural ministry, like ministering to somebody of another ethnicity or another stage of life. We, we think about cross-cultural ministry as something that is kind of just done overseas rather than here. And so it's hard for us to do, get out of our comfort zone when we're in our comfort zone. But when we get out of our comfort zone, it's easier for us to stay out of our comfort zone. So for instance, I'm going to, on one of the short-term trips uh, this summer to Egypt. I'm not sure if I was supposed to say that. North Africa. Um, Sorry. Uh, We may have to edit that, but I'm going on a trip to North Africa. And so uh, a paper is sent and like, I'm reading it and I'm learning like how to do these greetings in their language. I'm learning customs, all this kind of stuff. And I'm all excited to do cross-cultural ministry in North Africa. But how, how much do I do that here with my neighbors who are El Salvadorian who only speak Spanish? But that would require me get out of my comfort zone. But I'm in my comfort zone, so it's harder to get out in a way. 
It's harder to, to learn. It's, we don't sometimes don't even just think about trying to learn a language to speak with our Hindu brother or, or, or somebody on my kid's soccer team. We don't think about getting out of it then. And so we got to get out of our comfort zone. And so that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us, to help us, to give us the boldness and the faith to step out. It's hard. We need the power of the Holy Spirit because when you're around a diverse community, there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to be showed and a lot of grace that needs to be shared because people speak sometimes out of ignorance. People make jokes. People are insensitive, not even knowingly or, or trying to do it, really do it on purpose, but just out of not thinking. And so some of you, when we talk about diversity, you're like, oh man, I don't want to talk about this. Like, because you have been hurt, you've been judged, you've been tokenized. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us forgive others, to show grace towards others, and then to be able to ask for forgiveness and show grace uh, and ask for grace from others as well. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that need the Holy Spirit to help us to honor others above ourselves, especially in a culture where it's all about you, make yourself comfortable, make yourself happy. And when you're around a diverse community of believers, whether it's their age that makes them diverse, whether it's the color of their skin that makes them diverse, there are more things to think about when you are around a diverse community. Learning a language, all of that is honoring and putting others above ourselves. Linguistically, language-wise, cultural, there's always going to be these differences. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can break barriers for the sake of the gospel. Because God is intentional about his love. God desires an intimate relationship with all people. And then we're going to look at a third connection here in verse 5 and 6. Verses, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. What we see on the day of Pentecost that is often compared to, and this word bewildered is actually the same word used in uh, the Greek translation of the New Testament in Genesis 11, when the story of Babel is spoken about. And so the story of Babel is when God is when people, humanity, united together in rebellion towards God to build a tower to the heavens. And so God judged their rebellion, confused language, and caused a dispersion of all of humanity. Rather, as in the day of Pentecost, where God forgives man's rebellion and fills them with his spirit. He brings unity about multiple, among multiple languages and unites people rather than disperses them. And we see God making room for all people to hear the gospel and know him. And again, diversity is not just ethnically. We see this, this, what's happening here in Acts 2 is actually a prophecy of Joel chapter 2, which we'll talk about next week. But Joel chapter 2 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Look at what I kind of highlighted here in verse 28. Notice the comparison. Notice the diversity of people. Um, If we can go. 
So it's sons and daughters, and then we see male and female. There is gender diversity. We see old men and young men. There are generational diversity. We see even in verse 29 talking about servants. There are some that are lower socioeconomically. We see, diff- we see all of this. And so Babel is, in, is, is God inviting all people into his family. That's the image that we have here. Rather than Babel dispersing, the comparison we have in Pentecost is God is uniting. This is the third connection. All people are invited into God's family. And yes, I did the pastoral thing and all three start with an I. Okay. So extra points in exegesis review tomorrow. So God's intentional love for all people we see. We see God's desire for an intimate relationship with all people and all people are invited into God's family. These images of these Old Testament stories and and connections show us this. Verse seven, we'll keep going. And they were amazed and astonished. So these people are hearing them speak in other languages and they are amazed and astonished saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? What was grabbing their attention? was the fact that they were united speaking this. Notice he said all these. So if one of them was doing it, it would be like, okay, maybe he just took some Rosetta Stone and like he learned another language or something. But the fact that all these people are doing it, the fact that they were united is what was drawing their attention. Diversity is important, but unity within diversity is just as important. And unity isn't doing everything the same way. As uni- that's uniformity. We're talking about unity. Even the worship team earlier, we were in there talking about different styles of worship and different things like that. We have a team who just got back um, from Kenya a few weeks ago. And like church is, church is done differently in different parts because Christianity, because the gospel extends to all cultures. There is no language. There is no culture. There is no majority as opposed to other religions. If you think about Judaism, 85% of Jews live in Israel or somewhere in North America, those two spots. 80% of of those practicing Islam live in Asia. 94% of of Hindus live in one country in India. Whereas Christianity, 37% are in the Americas, North and South America. 26% 26% in Europe, 24 in sub-Saharan Africa, 13 in Asia Pacific. And so you see that the gospel, the, the message of Christ, the kingdom of God is about spreading to the nations. We are not confined. And so that's going to look different, but we are united. And what un- godly unity looks like is that we are all pursuing Christ together. Some may raise their hands. Some may not. Some may dance and shout. Some may not. Some may say amen when somebody's preaching. Some may not. Some may spend more time in worship than others. And that's okay because we are united in our pursuit of Christ. And what's, what's funny is like, I think about these passages in scripture where God uses animals to teach us about himself. Like, like, look at the birds of the air. And so if we can look at the birds of the air and be reminded about the goodness and provision of God, surely we can look around at one another who are created in the image of God and be encouraged and learn more about God by one another. Like there are no differences really genetically, like in our created core, there are no difference. Like you may look at me and Osagi and think like, oh, there's huge differences there. (laughs) And like externally, you might be right, all right? 
He may be a little bit taller than me. Our complexions may be a little different. But genetically speaking, like 99%, we are the same because we were both created in the image of God. And so we pursue diversity, but not to present an image, not so that our website can look cool with having different people of different colors, different backgrounds, all this kind of stuff, but to actually bring a diversity of backgrounds and perspectives to the table to be able to learn from one another. But that doesn't just happen in the context of a church, but it happens in our lives. We don't just invite the nations to church, but we invite the nations to our home. And diversity is what them them speaking multiple languages is what drew their attention where they're like, hey, all these people are speaking this. And because diversity is a light to the world. Not only did the fact that they were speaking these languages, but it was that they were doing it all together. But we see this elsewhere in scripture. A few weeks ago, I talked about the church in Antioch and how they were one of the most sending churches in the New Testament. They were also one of the most diverse churches in the New Testament. And it is in the book of Acts, in Antioch, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, they're gonna throw up, says this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Believers were first recognized as being like Christ in a diverse city like Antioch. Acts 13, one tells us about how diverse Antioch was. This is how we know. Now there were in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger. Yusuf has a funny story about the name Niger. So when he gets back from Greece, you can ask him about that. Lucius of, of Crayne, um, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetarek and Saul. And so there's five different prophets and teachers mentioned here. Paul and Barnabas were Jews, not born in Israel. Manaen was a part of Herod's household. So he was a privileged Jew. Simeon, Niger means black, so from, he was from sub-Saharan Africa. Lucius from Cyrene, modern-day Libya, North Africa. And so you have five leaders in this church mentioned. One was from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one from the Mediterranean, and two from Africa. And what's interesting is we don't really hear about any of these other men except for Saul and Barnabas. It was almost like Luke, when he was writing this, was highlighting the diversity that was in this church and how at this church, among this diverse body of believers is when people said, that's like Christ. And they called them Christians. And so diversity is a light into the world because it connects people from different backgrounds. I remember at my, at my, um, at the last church I was at in California, it was a lot more, uh, older demographic. And so, um, I would be interacting and I'd be like, why am I friends with this lady who's like 60 years old? Oh yeah, the gospel. And so when I see her, it, we, were, we were able to connect because of the power of Christ to unite all of us. And so it's a light into the world, but it's also a reflection. Diversity reflects the kingdom of God that we will see, that we will be around in all of eternity. Look at Revelation chapter five, verse nine. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. He ransomed all people. Revelation 7, 9 says this, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number 
from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand. This is the kingdom of God. That a great multitude, all people would be able to gather and worship. And so as we desire to be a diverse community, it's not, like I said, just to be cool, just to be trendy, but it's to reflect the kingdom of God. And that is the mission of the well. That is the vision of the well. Those are part of our distinctives of the well. And so doing that, we are going to plant multicultural churches. I have to bring church planting in because I am the church planting guy here and I have to constantly put it before you. But um, a few months ago, we had a, a few of us staff members were at a conference in Dallas, kind of like a diversity conference. And a gentleman spoke named John uh, Perkins. And John Perkins was like Martin Luther King Jr.'s civil rights, like he was like Martin Luther King Jr.'s right-hand man during the civil rights movement. And he was like 91 years old and he was up there. He preached for like 10 minutes and it was awesome to see. I'm like, man, when I'm 90, I hope I got 10 minutes in me. And uh, awesome, awesome man. But he, he said this, not at the conference, the conference stuff was just extra, but he said this in another quote. He said, the American church will probably soon achieve the levels of diversity many of us have always yearned for and always knew were possible but most likely not through majority churches diversifying themselves. Though they should pursue that, it will come through planting the planting of new deliberately multicultural churches. And so majority churches should seek to be diverse, but as a church that was planted multiculturally, this is how, who we reflect and this is the kingdom of God that we want to continue to expand and expand and spread as we plant churches. I think about Jesus. Some of you are like, that's good. You should. <laughs> Be worried if our church planner didn't. It? But I think about Jesus and I, as I was looking through his life, as I was studying this and seeing all of the diversity that, was sur that surrounded him in his life. He was born in Bethlehem. His family lived in Egypt for about three and a half years. All of his disciples were Jews, but on, some were on different sides of the political spectrum. One was a zealot who opposed Roman government. The other was a tax collector who worked for Roman government. So he had political diversity, even with on, his, on his team. He healed a Roman centurion servant, somebody from another nationality. He met and ministered to the Samaritan woman at the well. Mary Magdalene, Susanna, Joanna were women who accompanied him in his work in Luke chapter eight. As a child, he interacted with people older than him. And as an adult, he interacted, he healed children and invited them into his gathering. Jesus met with married people, single people. The man who helped Jesus carry the cross was from Libya in North Africa. Diversity was all around, whether it was gender, gender, gender diversity, racial diversity, all, he was surrounded by all types of people. But not only is Jesus our example of what that looks like, but it's through Jesus that that is possible. It is through the blood of Christ that all people everywhere at any point in history can give their lives, can be a part of the kingdom if they believe in the Messiah. Ephesians 4, chapter 12, or 4, verse 12 says this, 
Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If he can unite with, if Christ can unite a perfect, holy, just, righteous God with a sinner who is unclean like myself, surely he can divide all of us with our arbitrary differences. And Christ gave his life to unite us with the Father that we all may be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And so Jesus doesn't just make diversity, doesn't just make unity possible between us, but he made it possible that we might be united with our creator through the power and through the work of Jesus Christ. That we would not just be equal, but we would be united as believers in Christ. Let's continue on. Whoops. In Acts chapter 2. Verse eight, we're gonna continue on. And how is it that we hear each of them, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Mede, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Fight, I forget how to pronounce it. I tried, I was listening to the Bible app on the way here. Figria. Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And I think it's so, it shows the love of God that God sees us because he could have just said multiple languages. Yeah, they spoke multiple languages, but he lists like 15 different languages people groups. And oftentimes when we read things like this in the Bible, we, we skip over it, right? Or we just sound like we're speaking in a heavenly language. We're like, da, 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 da. Like you, we just skip over it. But this week in exegesis, I was rebuked by Huli um, for that. She, I don't know where she's at. She's hiding today, but she didn't really. But she was like, sometimes we do that. We like skip over those things, those names and those people not honoring that God put them in there for a reason and that they have a name. Verse 12, continuing on. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Two groups of people had their responses to this, to the gospel going to the nations. One was an assumption. One was a, make, a passing of judgment. They're drunk with wine. Like, I don't know why that was their go-to, to be honest. Like if I started speaking Mandarin, I don't know if you guys would be like, oh, he had too much to drink. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know why that was their go-to here, um, but it was. And so with diversity, diversity with this topic, oftentimes we, we, there's two camps, there's two sides that we can come to it with. The one of making assumptions and judgments on people or the one of asking questions and being curious to learn from one another. And so you see that here. One is asking, what does this mean? And the other is like, oh, they're this or that, making stereotypes, making judgments on them. And so what do we do? A few action steps that I kind of um, just 
thought of in prayer. I'm not gonna expound on these too much for the sake of time, but like focus on the gospel. I know it seems so easy to do, but like be in scripture, be in the word because everywhere you look, you will see God's heart for all people. It'll be very hard for you to, be negle- to neglect your neighbors when you are in the word of God and see how much he cares for people, how much he cares for the nations. And so focus on the gospel. Invite others in. Invite people to your home from maybe they're married or maybe they're single. So maybe they have a different background. Maybe they're a college student or maybe they have grandkids. Invite people in and desire, seek to be known. And then as you invite people in, Don't just talk, but listen and learn and be patient. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with other people um, as we seek to be a unified, diverse community that Christ has set up for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for inviting us in. God, that you did not leave us far off, but you sent your son to spill his blood to bring us into the kingdom. But not just us, Lord, all people. Your heart is for all. And so, Holy Spirit, would you give us the power? Would you form our heart? Would you shape our heart? Holy Spirit, would you remind us like as we're at school, as we're at work. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us about cross-cultural ministry? Would you remind us your intentional love? Like the fact that we work where we work and go to school in the classrooms that we do are not by accident, God, but you have placed us there just like you poured out your spirit on the day of Pentecost, just like you were intentional then, you are intentional now with where you have placed us to reach the nations, Lord. Holy Spirit, it is through you that we have the power to step out of our comfort zone. Would you grow our faith? Holy Spirit, it's through your power that those of us in here can be healed who have been talked about with diversity, have been judged, have been um, treated awfully because of the very thing that makes us different. Holy Spirit, would you bring healing? Holy Spirit, would you do the work of comforting that Jesus talked about? Would you comfort them right now at this moment? God, would you give them hope for unity within diversity again? For those who have maybe written off and think it's just not possible, God, would you encourage them with your hope that through your blood we can be reconciled one another? Lord, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to get our eyes off of ourselves, to not seek our own honor, but to honor others? no matter their background, no matter their marital status, no matter anything, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you get our eyes off of ourself and onto you and onto your kingdom? We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.